Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Hand to Hand in the Trenches, a missionary story podcast. I'm Caleb Hickam. And I'm Kimberly Croker. And we are your hosts for this episode of Hand to Hand. Hand to Hand is a ministry outreach of Charity Baptist Tabernacle in Amarillo, Texas. And Hand to Hand is a missionary story podcast that tells the true stories of Christians around the world who have hazarded their lives for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Hello, welcome back to Hand to Hand in the Trenches. You're listening to Season 1, Episode Number 5. We'll be beginning the story of Michael Sattler this week, an Anabaptist preacher in the 1500s. Before we start, we should give a slight disclaimer. The life and story of Michael Sattler is documented historical fact. This is a true story. But, like most persecuted people, The story of Michael Sattler and the Anabaptists in general is primarily told by their persecutors, and therefore very little is known about his early life. We will try to tell this story to the best of our ability and the best of our knowledge. We hope that it's a blessing to you, and we hope that you, as a listener, will understand that there are some holes in the story that we just can't fill because we don't know. Michael Sattler was born sometime around the year 1490 in the city of Stauffen, Germany. It's a boy. We will name him Michael. Now, as our listeners are probably aware, the 14 and 1500s were part of what used to be called the Dark Ages. Nowadays, we would usually refer to them as the Middle Ages. They were called the Dark Ages because it was a dark time in history. Before the invention of the printing press, Bibles were very scarce, and the Catholic Church kept them locked away, refusing to allow the people to hear the Word of God. And even after the printing press was invented in 1440, the Catholic Church did everything it could to keep the Bible away from the common people. And because of that, It was a time where very few people were able to know how to be saved. And thousands of people were dying of diseases and plagues every day. While the peasants lived in extreme poverty, the lords and ladies, and especially the priests, often lived lavish lifestyles, raising taxes and further enslaving the poor 
in order to satisfy the lust of their own flesh. Sounds just a little bit like Robin Hood stuff. You know, raise the taxes, double the taxes, triple the taxes. Oona lolly. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like that, yes. But one of the worst things about the Dark Ages, Kim, was the Catholic Church selling something that they called indulgences. Ooh, ooh. I've heard about this. Isn't that where the Catholic Church would teach that someone, if their loved one had died, they could pay money to the priest and get them out of purgatory and into heaven, right? Yes, that's exactly what it was. It was a time of evil and darkness that most of us cannot even comprehend. And this was the time that Michael Sattler grew up in. As Michael Sattler grew up into a young man, he wanted to be a good Christian. But in a dark time like this, where there was no Bible, and where most people didn't know anything except for the Catholic Church, what does a person who wants to be a good Christian do? Well, I can tell you what Michael did. He decided to become a monk. Michael Sattler joined the Benedictine monks at the St. Peter's Monastery in the Black Forest, where he took his monistic vows under Abbot Jodocus Kaiser, probably around the year of 1515. Brother Michael, do you promise obedience to the Benedictine order? Do you swear to listen and obey the words of God as taught to you by nature and our most holy ancient traditions? and to obey without question the orders given you by your leaders, especially the orders given by me in my most holy position as abbot and father of this holy monastery. Yes, Father Jadokas, I swear it. Okay, and I just have to say, Kim, that anybody with a name like Jadokas Kaiser has got to be an evil dude, right? I would concur. <laughs> all right. Well, all right, so anyway, back to the story. Michael was in the monastery for several years. He wanted to be a good monk because he wanted to be a good Christian. So he was obedient and he worked hard. So, one of the advantages of being a priest in those days was that you got the opportunity for an education. Michael learned to read and to write. He studied Latin and was also able to learn to read and write in the German language. Because of Michael's dedication and hard work, he earned the respect of many of his fellow monks, so much so that when Abbot Jadokas, Abbot Jadokas, right? When Abbot Jadokas had to appoint someone to the position of prior, he chose Michael Sattler. Okay, so for those who might not know what a prior is, and when I say those, I mean me, what is a prior? Okay, well, it's a good question, Kim. The prior of the monastery is basically the second in command right after the abbot. It was a high position in the monastery. And as a matter of fact, Michael was even given the title Lord Sattler. During this time, as the Catholic Church was gaining more and more power, and many of the local lords were running out of money for their lavish lifestyles, the abbots of the different monasteries would be appointed as the lords over their region. Meaning, Abbot Jadokas was like a governor over the Black Forest area? Exactly, and not a kind one. Michael, do you realize it's been over a year since I had a new team of horses and carriage? Why have you not bought them for me? But Father, 
We cannot afford them right now. What do you mean we cannot afford them? I guess we'll have to raise the taxes. I am the representative of God in this region. I cannot be going around in this old carriage. But Father Jadokas, the peasants cannot afford to pay any more taxes. They're taxed to their limits as it is now. Nonsense. I won't hear any more about it. They can't afford not to take care of the man of God. Just tell them that if they don't pay, then we will refuse to give indulgences to their loved ones. Believe me, if they believe they're facing an eternity in the fires of purgatory, they'll come across with the money. Wow, not a very nice guy. Also, Abbot Jadokas, along with the other Catholic government officials who were trying to combat the printing press, held a public book burning in 1522 that Michael attended. Prior Settler, bring that stack of books. Right away, Father. But we can only imagine how this would have sat with Michael when he reflected on it in the quiet of the monastery. Brother Jonathan, doesn't it seem wrong to you that we would burn books? And some of those books were Bibles. Why would we destroy the Word of God? You know why, Michael. These peasants are not smart enough to understand the Bible. That's why they need people like us, and especially Father Jadokas. It's a, it's a huge mistake to let people read the Bible themselves. I don't know, but it seems to me the more people who could read the Bible, the better it would be. Then they would know what God wants from them. You'd better not let Father Jadokas hear you talking like this, at least not if you know what is good for you. But Jonathan, I'm just really confused. The more I read in the Bible, especially in the epistles of Paul, the more confused I get. It doesn't seem like what we believe and teach agrees with what the Bible says. Michael, what on earth are you talking about? Well, yesterday I was reading in Ephesians chapter 2, and it says in verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Don't you see that means all of our good works cannot save us? I'm beginning to fear for my soul. Michael, stop talking like this. What are you thinking? Don't forget that you're the prior of this monastery. You're starting to sound like some kind of Martin Luther or even worse, one of those stupid Anabaptists. I know. I just wish that I understood. Well, don't bring it up to me again. I don't want to end up the defendant in a heresy trial. And if you know what's good for you, you'll stop talking like this. If some of the others heard this, they might not be so nice. Sounds like the Lord is working on Michael and putting him under conviction. Yes, he was. But somehow, the Lord had to send a witness to him in the monastery. And I can't wait to see how that happens. Well... In order for me to explain it to you, first we have to talk about the German Peasants' War. And let's go ahead and explain what the German Peasant War is. The German Peasants' War was Europe's largest and most widespread popular uprising prior to the French Revolution. Basically, to make a long story short, the poor German farmers and peasants started a revolution against the oppressive aristocracy. So it would be basically like the American Revolution. Yeah, kind of like that. 
The problem was that the peasants had no artillery, no cavalry, most of them had very little, if any, military experience. While the Catholic-supported aristocratic government had experienced military leaders, well-equipped and disciplined armies, as well as, thanks to many years of oppressive taxation, more than ample funding to support their military. Sounds like the peasants were doomed from the start, kind of fighting that losing battle type thing. What did they have? Well, like I said, not much in the way of military. But for the purpose of our story, I should tell you that the ranks of the peasants' army was filled with Anabaptist Christians. Okay, we've actually mentioned Anabaptists several times so far in this story, and I think it's about time that we explain what an Anabaptist is, just in case someone doesn't know. That's a good idea, and this is a good time to talk about it anyway. Well, the simple truth is Anabaptists were Baptists, born-again, Bible-believing Christians. Yeah, you see, the name Anabaptist was given to them by their enemies. The word Anabaptist literally means one who baptizes again. The reason they said that was that when a person got saved, these Bible-believing Baptists would teach that this new convert needed to be scripturally baptized. Yes, and the Catholic Church called it rebaptizing because they claimed that the person had already been baptized as a little baby. Right. Of course, we know, as did the Anabaptists, that that so-called infant baptism did not count because that baby had not made a profession of faith. So even though they were called Anabaptists, they only believed that a person needed to be baptized one time and only after they had been born again. Yes, and just like the Baptists would lead the fight for liberty here in America during the American Revolution some 250 years later, the Anabaptists were at the forefront of the fight for freedom against the oppressive government and the oppressive Catholic Church during the German Peasants' War. Right. Okay, so now that that's all taken care of, let's go ahead and get back to the German Peasants' War. Well, the thing is, ultimately, the peasants would lose the war. But before that would happen, in May of 1525, and that's why I brought it up, in May of 1525, an army of German peasants marching towards the city of Friesburg moved to capture St. Peter's Monastery in the Black Forest, intending to use it as a fort. Yes, and Abbot Chidokas was very afraid of being captured because he had been extremely cruel to the peasants. Michael, I must escape to the city before those peasants arrive. There are no troops coming to our aid, and I cannot be captured. If I am, I will be hanged for sure. But Father Jadokas, how can you leave us now in our time of need? Michael, if they capture me, they will kill me. I must escape. Now, you will be in charge until I return. You are the prior, and it is your duty to stay behind and leave the monastery until I return. Yeah, Get up! Ha! Ha! And so, Abbot Jadokas fled to the city, leaving Michael to negotiate with the peasants. Company, halt! All right, who's in charge here? I am the prior of this monastery, 
I'm in charge until Father Judokus returns. Where did the coward go? How dare you speak of his holiness like that? You should call him Father. I would not call him or any other man Father. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 23, 9, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. I would think you know that. Don't you study the Bible around here? Well, uh, yes, yes, some. Michael Sadler, you have a good report among the peasants in this area. They say that you're a good man, and you have not been impressive to them like the abbot was. So we will do you no harm. However, we're taking charge of the monastery. We'll be camping here for some time. We intend to use it as a fort. You and any of the monks that wish to stay here are free to do so. But every man will live by the sweat of his own brow. You'll have to work for your own food, just like every other man. Understood? Yes, sir. While this troop of peasants was camped at St. Peter's Monastery, there's no question that Michael Sattler heard a number of Baptist or Anabaptist church services around the campfires at night. It's midnight and the Savior calls, Come unto me, both great and small, From every kindred nation tongue, Come one, come all, come old and young, Tis midnight and we hear the cry, The Savior now is passing by. Oh, will you let him call in vain, Lie down and fall asleep again? Ye slumbering nations, wake and rise, Lift up your heads, look to the sky. The Savior's invitation heed. Awake, arise, and make full speed. Bring oil and lamp and march along. The Lord to meet a happy throng. The precious time may soon be o'er. You'll hear the Savior's call no more. Now is the time, the day of grace, for all the fallen human race. Come to the Lord, accept his hand, for soon you must reject it stand. Or will you now the call obey, or will you longer lingering stay? Until you hear the trumpet sound, the dead rise from the quaking ground. Then make your bed in torments where God will not hear your bitter prayer. Machine of teeth will be your doom, no life, no hope, eternal gloom. Oh, will you make that awful choice, or will you hear the Savior's voice? Come unto me while yet I call, for now I will forgive you all. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand 
by which ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, the Scripture clearly tells us that you're not saved through your works, you're not saved through your baptism, you're not saved through your charity, you're not saved through your church, you're not saved amen, through amen. anything you have done. But you are saved when you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And sinner friend, I call on you today to please let this be your day of salvation. Stand up and call upon the name of the Lord. Come forward if you want to be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord before it is too late. Me! I need to be saved. The Catholic religion has lied to me my whole life. They're leading me down a path to damnation. All these years I've tried to do good works to get to heaven, but now I know from the Bible that all I need is the grace of God and the free gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. Isn't that amazing how the Lord could send a witness even into a monastery? So incredible. Only God could do such a thing. Yeah. Well, as the war progressed, the peasants began to realize that they were going to lose the war. And most of the peasants camped at St. Peter's Monastery began to make plans to return home to their farms and villages. But a few of them had a different plan. Brother Michael, have you heard everything going on in Zurich? I don't, I don't know what it is you're talking about. A group of Anabaptists have scheduled a debate with Jorik Zwingli. He's the uh, Protestant preacher there. They're going to have a big debate with him on the subject of baptism. What is the debate? Zwingli is saying that it's okay to baptize babies, but the Anabaptists are there saying that baptism is only for the born-again Christians. I myself would be interested to hear both sides of that argument. I have my own questions about it. A few of us are traveling there to listen to the debate. Why don't you uh, come along with us? Thank you, brother. I will. There's nothing to keep me in the monastery now. Not now that I've been saved. So Michael, along with some of his new friends, traveled to Zurich to hear the debate. The problem was, it was not a fair debate. All of the judges were supporters of the Protestant Zwingli. Debate will now begin. Pastor Zingli, state your position. The children of Israel brought their sons to be circumcised on the eighth day, thus establishing them in the covenant. So by the same token, we should bring our children at eight days old to be baptized into the covenant of Christianity. Sir, that's an absurd argument. Circumcision has nothing to do with baptism. I do not appeal to my reason. I appeal to the scripture. The book of Acts tells us that when Philip was witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch, this is what happened. I got, I got it right here in the Bible. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The scripture clearly tells us, number one, that this Ethiopian could not be baptized until after he believed in Christ. No eight-year-old baby can do this. It tells us, secondly, the mode of baptism, which was not by sprinkling or pouring, but by going down into the water. The Bible tells us that baptism is a burial. In order to perform baptism, a person must go under the water, which is a picture of the death and burial of Christ. And when a person comes out of the water, it is a picture of Christ's resurrection. Sprinkling a baby does not fulfill that picture at all. Silence. We've heard quite enough. Rerule in favor of Pastor Zingli. But Michael had heard enough as well, enough to convince him what a scriptural baptism was, and he requested to be baptized by an Anabaptist. Brother Michael Sadler, have you placed your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes, sir. And are you trusting in him and him alone for your salvation? Yes. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, and raised in the likeness of his resurrection, ever to walk in the newness of life. After being baptized scripturally against the orders of the local government, Michael was arrested, held in prison. Finally, he was brought before the council and forced to pay a fine before being expelled from the city of Zurich. Michael Sattler, you're expelled from the city. Do not ever return. So Michael, with some of his friends, traveled to the area of Horb in Rottenburg, where he began doing mission work, preaching salvation by grace through faith, and baptism by immersion for born-again believers. In other words, Michael had gone from being a Catholic monk to an Anabaptist preacher. It was while Michael was working as a missionary in this area that he met and married a former Beguin named Margaretha. The Beguins were a Catholic lay religious order that was active in the lower countries of Northern Europe from the 13th to the 16th centuries. These members lived in monastic-like communities, but didn't take formal religious vows. However, they did have to promise never to marry as long as they lived as Beguines. In other words, kind of like a nun. Very much like a nun. Anyway, Margaretha had been saved and had become an Anabaptist before she met Michael. Michael knew from the writings of Paul that a pastor should have a wife. Plus, he had seen firsthand during his time in the monastery that many of the priests and monks had become involved in adultery and fornication simply because they did not obey the scripture and take a wife. Margaretha, the scripture says it is not good for a man to be alone, and in fact, I don't want to be alone any longer. I want to spend my whole life with you. Margaretha, will you marry me? Yes, Michael, I would love to be your wife. 
Wow, Michael's life has changed a lot. Yeah, and that's not all. It was at this time that a group of Anabaptists in Horb, Germany, approached Michael about becoming their pastor. Brother Michael, look at this little flock. We're a sheep without a shepherd. Would you consider being our pastor? And of course, Michael followed the leading of the Lord and became the pastor of that little church. Then, by February of 1527, Michael was well respected among the Anabaptists, and he was even asked to come preach at a meeting similar to what we would call a camp meeting or a Bible conference today over in Switzerland, about 30 miles across the German border. While he was there, he chaired a meeting in which a group of Anabaptists made a list of what they considered some of their core beliefs. It was called the Schleitheim Confession, and Michael Sattler was its primary author. Now, we will say from the outset that most of us today would not agree with all of the points in the Schleitheim Confession, but we think it's pretty good for a group of persecuted people with limited resources in 1527. And I'll also say that we agree with most of it. Amen. Number one, baptism is to be administered to those who have consciously repented of their sins and believe that Christ died for their sins. Also, it should only be given to those who request it for themselves. Therefore, no infant can be baptized because infant baptism is the most evil creation of the Pope. Number two, the Christian should live a life of discipline and walk in the way of righteousness. Those who slip and fall should be admonished twice in secret, but on the third offense should be openly disciplined as a final recourse. Number three, the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of Christ's body and blood. The literal body and blood of Christ is not present at the communion table. Number four, the Christian should live a life of separation from Catholics and Protestants and have no fellowship with those who continue to disobey the command of the scriptures. Number five, pastors should be men of good report. They must faithfully carry out the responsibility of leading the church. He should be supported by the church, but he himself should be disciplined if he sins. Number six, the Christian should not take an oath as Jesus prohibits the taking of oaths and swearing. However, Christians can testify as when a person bears testimony, it is not the same as swearing. Number seven, the church and state are from two separate realms and have no power over each other. Therefore, the Christians should not use force in any way. Michael was the primary author of this document. Handwritten copies were given out all over Europe, and eventually it was given to a printer, and it became a form of gospel track and was passed out all over Europe. Many people learned the truth of salvation and baptism for the first time from reading the Schleitheim Confession. And I guess that's a good place for us to stop this week. Yeah, I guess we will need to stop there this week. But next week will be a really good week. Great story. Michael Sattler is only a two-part story. So we'll be finishing it up next week. In the meantime, the scripture for this week is, Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet I do not decline from my testimonies. Princes have persecuted me without a cause. 
but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Psalm 119, 157 and 119, 161.